Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This year we are studying the church, the church of Jesus Christ, and we always need to remember that it is the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Scripture also tells us that he is the head of the church. And we need to be reminded that he is the one to whom we look when we seek direction in our lives and when we want to know how we are to conduct ourselves within this assembly of believers. Reviews a verse of Scripture to kind of provide for us the foundation. And that verse of Scripture is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Let's read it together this morning. We'll start with the reference Then we'll read the verse, and then we will finish again with the reference, all right? Here we go. 1 Peter 3.15. You may know how you ought to behave in the house of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of truth. And as we have looked at the church, we have seen that the purpose of the church is to recognize we are indeed a pillar and buttress of truth. Underline that in your mind, will you? Say the word truth with me. Truth. You can do better than that. That was kind of weak, all right? Say the word truth with me. Truth. And it's important that we know where truth comes from and how we can discern truth, and we're going to talk about that this morning. The purpose of the church is to be a pillar and buttress of truth as the household of God, the assembled believers of the living God. Amen? We are a household of faith, and we are here to recognize and worship the living God of all creation. Amen? He's alive. And I am so thankful that we as living stones can offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to the living God of all creation. We've talked a little bit about the product of the church. (coughs) Excuse me. Faith, hope, and love. (laughs) (coughs) That went down the wrong pipe. Faith, hope, and love. And as we are assembled together, we are to live out our faith, we are to live in hope, and our love for one another, (coughs) excuse me, is what identifies us to a lost and dying world. Jesus said, by this shall all men know you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Now, how do we do that? We looked at the process, and we went to Acts chapter 2, and Hannah identified that this morning. In the book of Acts, the coming of the Holy Spirit was evidenced in their lives. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. And as we looked through that, we discovered the process that they used as they worked together, as they sat in wonder together, as they just were together, as they recognized all that God was doing and shared and served. And witnessed together. 
And the process that God has called us to is a process that brings us together. One of the subjects that we are studying in our adult Bible fellowships, and if you're not here on Sunday mornings at 9.30 for adult Bible fellowship or our student ministry or children's ministry, let me encourage you to be here. Because we are studying spiritual gifts. And within the body of Christ, we're all different. That's okay. And I am so thankful that not everybody has the same function. Because if everybody was the hearing, there wouldn't be much seeing. And if everybody were the fingers, we wouldn't be able to get any place because there wouldn't be any toes. But together we function and live out the wonder of what God has called us to be. On May 31st of this year, I went to my doctor and I had my annual wellness visit. They used to call it a physical. The first thing they did to me is they put me on this scale. And when I get on the scale, the first thing I do is take off my shoes. I empty my pockets. And I get rid of any ounces that I can get rid of. I even wore shorts that day so I wouldn't have the weight from the knee down. You laugh, it's true. They checked my height. And then I went in and saw my doctor, and he started poking on me. And he hit my knee, you know, to make sure I had reaction. He asked me all kinds of questions. Because he wanted to know what kind of physical shape I was in. Now, that particular day, I was not doing well because I was having a little AFib going on. And your heart is supposed to go, ba-bump. My heart was going, ba-bump-bump. Ba-bump-bump. Boy, that could give you some rhythm, couldn't it? Ba-bump-bump. Ba-bump-bump. Well, it can give you some rhythm, but it doesn't help you. (laughs) So that was going on, but that's okay. That happens every once in a while, and it's no big deal. As a church, we need to have some checkups. And so for the next number of weeks, we are going to check up on ourselves and see how we're doing to try to understand what to look for in a healthy church. Now, several years ago, I took our deacons through a book by Mark Devers. It's called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And some of the subjects that we are going to look at over the next several weeks come from this book. It's a good read. If you've not read this book, let me encourage you to pick it up, and it'll challenge your thinking, and it will help you identify what to look for in a, in a healthy church church. Now, I'm not going to cover it the same way Mark does. I'm going to look at it from from different direction, but I just wanted you to know where the source of some of this was was coming. And Mark, in, in his book, starts with expository preaching. And so my first mark of a healthy church is this, biblical preaching. And it's important that we start there because without biblical authority, we have nothing to stand on. This morning in our CBC 101 class, we began with Baptist distinctives. And the B in B-A-P-T-I-S-T is biblical authority. And that's where we must begin as we look for a healthy 
church? What is the authority? Where do they go for their standards? Where does a church find its security? What does a church use to give them direction? And we would say it's biblical authority, biblical preaching. Now, are you in for 2 Timothy chapter 4? Let me read for you the first four verses. You follow along in your copy of the Scriptures, please. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Now, underline that. That's our text for this morning. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The time is coming, folks, and we may well be there. When people only want to hear what they want to hear. And that may not be what God says. Paul, in talking to young Timothy, and Timothy was the pastor of a group of believers at Ephesus. It was his first assignment in ministry, having traveled with Paul on a couple of missionary journeys. Paul writes back to him and says, Timothy... If you do nothing else, preach the word. You may not have all of the answers, Timothy, but preach the word. Because that's foundational to all who believe. Hannah's mentioned that it's the Holy Spirit that we celebrate today at Pentecost. You know, it's the Holy Spirit's job to guide and direct us into all truth. It's the Holy Spirit's job to Bring things to our remembrance. Steve Berry, this morning in his prayer, quoted a passage of Scripture out of Philippians chapter 2. One of Steve's next spiritual gifts, and I know this because I ask all of our deacons to identify spiritual gifts. One of Steve's is to memorize Scripture, and that's what he was doing this morning. I had to look up to make sure Steve wasn't reading. And he wasn't. But it's the Word of God that's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the Word of God that penetrates into our lives. It's the Word of God that guides and directs us so that we will know what life and living is all about. You know, the Word is very important here at Calvary. It would be an unusual Sunday if I came to the platform it did not first ask you to turn in your Bibles to a specific text. The reason I do that is I want you to know that it's all about the Word of God. It's not about anything else we do. Now, occasionally I will pray following a song or something like that, but most Sundays, as I did this morning, I will come to this pulpit and I will say, take your Bibles and turn to because it's all about the Word of God. Paul says to Timothy, preach the Word. The word translated preach is caruso. It has the idea of publicly proclamation. 
Any of you remember the old town criers that used to go through the cities? I didn't think there'd be anyone here who was of that generation. But there used to be town criers that would go through the, the cities and give announcements. It was kind of like a verbal bulletin board. And this morning we talked about coming events. That was our bulletin board, if you will. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you need to remind people of what is important in their lives. And you do that by preaching. The word preach is used some 32 times in the Gospels because Jesus did a lot of preaching. The Sermon on the Mount was a, was a message. And at the end of that message, the crowds listened to him and said, man, this is different than we've heard before. This has some authority attached to it. You know, the Word of God ought to always have authority attached to it. Jesus came preaching and teaching the, the kingdom of God. It's important that we herald those things. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We should not be ashamed of the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Amen? And the first key to the ministry here at Calvary is to have biblical authority and it begins with the preaching and teaching of God's word preach Keruso. the word logos in the beginning was the word logos and the word was with God and the word was God we know the living word Jesus Christ amen we also have the written word where holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. Where we recognize all Scripture is given to us by inspiration of God and is profitable. Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's the written word that we have in front of us. And Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Now, as you look in the Bible, and I think it would be a good exercise for you, there are some 13 different ways that the Bible is identified. It's identified by seed. You remember the sower went forth to, to sow, and the seed fell upon different types of ground. And then when Jesus gives the interpretation of that parable, he says the seed is the word of God. It's identified as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Peter identifies it as the pure milk of the word, that we may grow by it. It's identified as sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, Ephesians chapter 6. It's identified as a hammer, because many times it's the word of God that will break to pieces our ideas when they do not mesh with what the standard is that God has given to us. It's identified as fire it's identified as a mirror from my vantage point this morning I can tell that all of you looked in a mirror this morning because I doubt that any of you when you got up looked the way you do now you look great aren't you thankful for mirrors huh yeah yeah but most of the time when I look in a mirror, I don't like what I see. You know, the Word of God sometimes is like that. <laughs> I look into it. <laughs> it shows who I really am. 
and I don't always like what I see. It's identified as gold, fine gold. It's identified as meat. It's identified as, as water. But the underlying identity of the Word of God is this, truth. Truth. Underline that in your minds, please. Because it is so important that we recognize truth. You'll remember, and we'll see it again a little bit later, 1 Peter 3, household of God, church of the living God, pillar and buttress of truth. And so as we talk about biblical preaching, we talk about what the Word is, and it is indeed truth for our lives. It is that underlying foundation. Jesus came, according to John chapter 1, to become flesh and dwell among us. And the Scripture says, we beheld the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Jesus one day was having a discussion, discussion with some Sadducees. Sadducees about marriage. And they, they posed a hypothetical question to him. Now, in that day, widows had it tough. Because it was a family structure, and if an individual was widowed, she didn't have anybody to care for her. And so it was not unusual for brothers of the deceased to bring that woman into their homes and care for her and take care of her. And so here's the hypothetical. Let's say there are seven brothers. They have seven wives. And six of the brothers die. Who takes care of her? And who's going to be married to her in the kingdom? Well, they came up with some hypotheticals, didn't they? And Jesus said to them, you err not knowing the scriptures because you don't understand the truth. It's so important for us to recognize truth. Jesus, when he was before Pilate in John chapter 18, said that I came to declare the truth. And Pilate said, well, what is truth? And he had truth standing right in front of him. It is indeed the word of God. As we think about biblical preaching, we start with the truth. Now this morning, I want to identify truth for you. Because if we don't understand what truth is, then we're going to struggle. Now if you have notes, this is not in your notes, all right? So you're going to have to take this by hand. And it may surprise you, but this is an acrostic, T-R-U-T-H, all right? And I do that to, to, to help us put some handles on it. It helps me put handles on it anyway. So I, I want you to understand what truth is because we live, and we'll talk about it in just a moment, 
a day of relativism. You believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I want to believe, and it's both equal. Well, it's not. Because it's not all truth. You may believe that the moon is made of cheese. Anybody believers out there? Good, because it's not. But just because you believe it doesn't make it so. So let's look at this this morning. Truth begins with a testimony of a sovereign, omniscient God. Truth starts with a holy God. And it is this holy God that helps us understand what truth is all about. Paul writes in Titus chapter 1, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. Aren't you thankful that God is the one who is in control of eternal life? The Bible says God does not change. And the Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. And the reason it's impossible for God to lie is because he is holy. And if he could lie, he wouldn't be holy. Truth begins with the testimony of God because his very nature gives to us truth. The writer of Hebrews says this, that by two unchangeable things, and as you read Hebrews... It's God's promise and God's pledge. Two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie that we might have a strong consolation, a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. God anchors us in truth by his very testimony. If God said it, that settles it because it's truth. You perhaps have heard someone say God said it. I believe it, and that settles it. Well, if God said it, that settles it whether or not you believe it. And you and I need to be careful that we don't get above God saying, I believe it, because God said it. Well, it's a good thing to believe what God says. But truth starts with the testimony of Almighty God. Truth is also anchored in the reality of facts. Whether it's the unity of Scripture, you know, this is a unique book. On Wednesday nights, we are studying the subject, being prepared to give an answer to everyone that asks us the reason, the hope that is in us. And right now we are studying the, the Bible, and how do we know the Bible is the Word of God? You know, it's a unique book. It's a book that was written over a 1,600-year period. You look back on our country that is barely 200 years old. You know what's changed in our country? What's changed in your lifetime? Has the use of words changed? Definition of terms changed? This book, written over 1,600 years by 40 different authors, is consistent with God's redemptive plan. And as you think about those authors, 
They came from different circles of life. Luke was a doctor. Joshua was a military leader. Paul was a tent maker. John was a fisherman. And on and on and on it goes. But yet this unique book that God has given to us and that his spirit guides and directs us into. The fact is that it can be trusted because it is a great unifying text. Archaeology, geography, prophecy, scientific accuracy all give to us confidence in this book. And the facts are God's word is truth. The heavens declare the glory of God. Amen? That's fact. Romans tells us that they are without excuse because God in heaven has shown himself to them, to all of us. That's fact. We live in a day and age, as I said earlier, of relativism. And what many in our society believe is That may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Who are you to impose your values on who I am? But the truth is, relativism cannot escape proclaiming that truth corresponds with reality, the facts, because there is no man in the moon, no matter what you think about it. The fact is that the moon is its own object. You cannot live any way you want to live and please a holy God. Because the fact is God has given to us a standard whereby we are to live. You cannot identify yourself any way you want to identify yourself. You are who you are. I cannot stand up this morning in front of you and tell you that I am a six-foot, nine-inch Chinese person. Because I'm not. I'm a five foot eleven. I used to be six foot. Overweight, according to my doctor. All American cheeseburger eating boy with a side of fries. The reality of the facts. And that's why biblical preaching is so, so important. The truth is unconditional. It either is or it isn't. I have a couple of things that I carry in my Bible. One thing that I carry in my Bible, one of you gave to me. And I don't remember who it was. It's a bulletin from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Warrenville, uh, in Warrenville, uh, Naperville, Illinois. And if you gave this to me, I'd like to know, just, just for my own information. 
It's, it's a bulletin from October 21st of last year. And the reason I keep it in my Bible is, is because of what is written on the back. And it simply is titled, The Truth is Non-Negotiable. It's so easy in this day where compromise abounds to redefine the truth until we like the way it sounds. But truth is not negotiable. No, not at any cost. For when we start to alter it, to us the truth gets lost. It may seem insignificant to change in some small things, but when the truth is sacrificed, great consequence it brings. God's word is built on principles, not preferences of men. They must apply to all of life and not just now and then. If we are to be the church and be a fight, a light that shines, truth must dictate how we live and not our own designs. You see, truth is not negotiable. No. Not at any cost, for when we start to alter it, to us, the truth gets lost. Either God said it or he didn't. Either it's truth or it's not. Either it's applicable to our lives, as the Holy Spirit brings it into our lives, or the culture can dictate how we live. When we look at biblical preaching, we must understand that the truth is unconditional. It either is, or excuse my English, it ain't. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us, to convict us of all things, to bring things to our remembrance, and to empower us to live the kind of lives that He wants us to live. The truth also has some, some tests. I want to show a three-and-a-half-minute video here. And I want you to pay attention. Because this gentleman who is associated with the ministry of Ravi Zacharias, his name is Nathan Betts, gives a good answer in a short amount of time about how to identify truth. Now, you're going to have to pay attention because it goes pretty quick and it'll cause you to think. But it's necessary that, that we understand how to test truth in the culture in which we live. Brenda? How do I know what is true? Now, when I've been asked this question, often what I find people are asking is really this. If there is such a thing as truth, Nathan... How do I know it? What I'd like to do here is just give you three terms to work with, and effectively these are three tests as to how we can ascertain what the truth really is. Here are the terms. Correspondence theory, coherence theory, and then explanatory power. Let me explain these terms from top to bottom. Correspondence theory asks the question, look, what you believe, what you have placed your trust in, does it correspond to reality? Does it have factual evidence to back it up? So think about it like this. If I were to say to you, look, last night Manchester United won the football game, 
Well, that statement is true if and only if Manchester United actually won the football game. Correspondence theory. It, what I believe must correspond to factual evidence. Then we move on to coherence theory. Coherence theory asks the question, look, what you believe, again, what you've placed your trust in, does it cohere? Is there a high degree of internal consistency? Let me explain this a bit further. Say you and I are at a dinner party, and over a cup of coffee, we're talking, and you say, Nathan, hey, look, I just found out you have a son, and he's, he's around two years old. Is that right? And I, and I say to you, with much enthusiasm, yes, we, we do have a son, and we are so pleased with him. We, we love our son. Then one of our friends walks into the room and, and pops into the conversation, and he says, hey, Nathan, I, I just heard that you have a son. I didn't know that. He's around two years old. Is that right? And I say, no, 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 uh, no, that isn't actually, we don't have a son. Um, now, for the first person in this conversation, you're going to be looking at me and saying, hold on, which is it? It can't be both. Why? Because there's a contradiction there. There isn't coherence. In order for something to be true, it must pass the correspondence theory, but also the coherence theory. Then we move on to explanatory power. Explanatory power simply asks the question, does what I believe, again, what I've placed my trust in, does it help me make sense of my observations of the world, but also my longing and desires that I have? The ob observations that I have of the world, that the world is not the way that it ought to be. There's something wrong. There, there are many things wrong with the world. But then also my longings, my longing for significance, to matter, but also my observation that deep down, yes, I am capable of doing great things, but also I'm deeply flawed. The question is, what faith, what system of belief, what worldview best explains these observations and these longings? When we look to the Christian faith and then look to these three tests of truth, correspondence theory, coherence theory, and explanatory power, the Christian faith is just simply amazing in that it just passes these three tests with flying colors. Did you get all that? That's pretty deep. It really is. But we need to understand how to identify truth. What are the tests? I got a text this past week from um, some folks who have attended Calvary. And they said, we just had some folks by our, our house, and, and they identified themselves as a group of, of, of Christian people, and they, they left with us a book. And I, and I, I, wanna, I want you to, to know what you think about this book. The book was the Book of Mormon. said, well, they talked about Jesus Christ, and they, they, they talked about believers, and... and and, and it, it's a good looking, what do, you, what do you think? If you don't have some tests, if you don't have a criteria, a sieve through which you pass all information, you're going to struggle because it can sound good. And we need to understand that it's not whether it sounds good or not. It's whether it is the truth. How does it correspond to truth? Did Manchester United, I think that's a soccer team, win the game or didn't they? 
does it fit with coherence? And what is the explanation and the foundation for it? You need to have that. The sad reality is that truth is hidden from our culture. Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 8, you are of your father the devil. Now, he was talking to religious people there. And in John 8, 44, the devil is, re- is identified as a liar and the father of lies. And he certainly did that back in the garden, right? God told Adam and Eve, uh, you can eat of every tree except this one. And, and the devil comes in, in in Genesis chapter 3 and says, yeah, that wasn't what he meant. We should not be shocked because our culture does not live according to biblical truth. But that does not excuse us to have biblical preaching as the mark of our foundation. And that is the first identity of a healthy church. Now let me show you where we're going now. Next week's Father's Day. All right? Dad's happy Father's Day. Let me be the first to wish you a happy Father's Day, all right? We're going to celebrate dads next week. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. We're going to talk about how to be a super dad. The big S. All right? The following week, we're going to get back into this passage of Scripture, and we're going to talk about what it means to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and patience. And then the week after that, we're going to get back into this passage and we're going to discuss together what our culture is like. Because Paul says to Timothy, the time will come when people are going to have itching ears. And we are going to see how that applies to our 21st century culture. So that's that's where we're headed over the next several weeks told you I have a couple of things in my Bible that uh, are there just to remind me of how important it is to speak the truth. And I have this little poem, and I will end with this this morning. We've traveled together, my Bible and I, through all kinds of weather, with smile and with sigh. In sorrow or sunshine, in tempest or calm, Thy friendship unchanging, my lamp and my psalm. We've traveled together, my Bible and I, when life has grown weary and death even nigh. But all through the darkness of mist or of wrong, I found there a solace, a prayer and a song. So now who shall part us, my Bible and I? Shall isms and schisms or new lights who try? Shall shadow, shall shadow for substance or stone for good bread supplant thy sound wisdom, give folly instead? Oh no, my dear Bible, exponent of light. Thou sword of the Spirit, put error to flight. And still through life's journey, until my last sigh, we'll travel together, my Bible and I.